Welcome to Bad Romance. I'm Jordan Searles. And I'm Bronwyn Isaac. And this week we are joined by Griffin Newman from Blank Check and The Tick and a bunch of other things. Yeah, I think America's number one breakup fan. I feel like by default (laughs) that's one of my honorifics. Uh, I'm doing all right. We're recording this the the day the election was called. which is a weird mood, but it's a better weird mood than like other podcasts I've had to do in the last couple of days where you have to state like, we're recording this in that time where no one knows anything. Right, right. Where you're like, we're not sure uh, if we'll be in the middle of the ocean in a year. Um, (laughs) Here's You just don't want to say anything because you're like, I don't know how incorrect this is going to sound potentially 12 hours from now. Right. If you speculate too hard, then then you risk it being completely moot by the time you release it. Yes. Yes. That's the fear. But now now the, the fear is over. Now we can go back to just worrying about the sort of normal apocalyptic events. I can go back to my South Park rewatch. We're near the end of the 13th season. So really getting into it. We're right at the point when I stopped watching like as a person because I like I turned 18 in 2010 and I was like, no. No more of this. Can I ask why you're watching South Park again? Um, I'm going through this very weird emotional place right now where it's the only thing that I... Well, that and slasher movies. So I'm watching South Park. I'm also watching Final Destination 5. I go back and forth and back and forth. And I don't know what's going on with my brain. But I will say that re-watching South Park really helped me deal with Vince Vaughn in this movie. That's okay. That I'm I'm really interested to like dive into that. Um, you know, once we're really wading the waters of this movie, (laughs) Vince Vaughn feelings. So this will be a heated one. (laughs) So this movie is the breakup. It's from 2006 directed by Peyton Reed, who directed bring it on though. Nobody remembers that because the writing was done by someone else. Um, (laughs) And he directed, uh, I believe, Down With Love, which is a great rom-com. Agreed. Also, Yes Man, Ant-Man, and he's going to do Ant-Man 2. Oh, he did Ant-Man. He's done Ant-Man 2. Oh, he already did it. He's going to do Ant-Man 3. He's all the way in. I don't know the trilogy of Ant-Man. I I don't know anything about the Marvels. I just, I'm not, I'm just... I'm just a dweeb. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Peyton Reed is pretty good. Down with Love is amazing. Uh, so here we are with 2006, where this was the script was written by Jeremy Gellerick and Jay Lavender. So two men, get it? And story by Vince Vaughn and them. And Vince Vaughn is um, one of the producers. So you can tell that this was a Vince Vaughn vehicle. Yeah. And then there's Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> she's riding the vehicle and he's uh he's driving it or help design the car yeah and we also have um john favreau vincent d'onofrio judy davis joey lauren adams and margaret for um a little small period of time john michael higgins justin long for way too long um 
Cole <laughs> and Cole Hauser, who I wish wasn't in this movie at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, and it doesn't help that he plays a character named Lupus. I I don't know why I hate Cole Hauser. He's such a like not important actor for me to hate, but I love hating actors that no one knows about. It's my favorite. He's <laughs> very bizarre because I feel like he was one of those guys for like the '90s and the early 2000s where people were like, he might be a movie star at some point. And it just seemed clear that that was never going to happen. No. And most of his roles that are impactful are him playing the least likable people in the world. Like, he plays, like, the uber villain in Too Fast, Too Furious. And he's, like, one of the total, like, paddle shitheads and Dazed and Confused. Like, he's always just kind of, like, scum of the earth dudes. It's very bizarre that people thought, like, maybe he'll be a leading man at some point. Also, I don't know if you've seen, well, I've seen most of the Tyler Perry movies. He's in the Tyler Perry movie, The Family That Prays, and he's oh. the guy who's Sanaa Lathan, well, like, it's very, like, racial. Sanaa Lathan leaves her salt-of-the-earth black husband for her uber-rich white guy who she wow. had, like, a secret children with, and, like, Cole Hauser is that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and to be yeah. fair, he does have resting villain in a Tyler Perry movie face, <laughs> like, yeah, truly. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it gets into, like, all the things I find really fascinating about this movie. You had tweeted, uh, Jordan, like, does anyone... Here are the four movies we're going to cover in November. Does anyone have particularly strong opinions about either of these? And I think it's a funny counterpoint that, like, we became friends and you first came on Blank Check Pod because we, we did the same thing. We were doing Jonathan Demme's movies and we were going to cover Beloved and we couldn't find anyone who had like seen Beloved, let alone had strong feelings on it. We were like, we know this is an important movie. Like it was an important point in his career. It's the only Tony Morrison adaptation. Like we need to find someone who cares about this. And we tweeted, you said you did, you came on the show, you're great. You come on again, you'll come on yet again. And then my version of that is you tweeting like, no one gives a shit about the breakup, right? And I was like, no, 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 I care. I care. I have, I have very strong opinions I've been waiting 15 years to share. But a lot of those opinions come out of, like, this is a movie I like, despite having a lot of elements I dislike in it. And I think a lot of what I like about it is its status as a bad object in that way. I think it's interesting as, like, it is the first Vince Vaughn vehicle, I would argue. And I'll unpack that a little bit. But it's also like a movie star blank check. The whole thing my podcast is about is it me and David Sims, our obsession with like the movies people make when they have the sort of success that no one can really categorize. Mm-hmm. And like the studios just sort of like back off and go like, I don't know, maybe you know what you're doing. And this year, 2006, is... The Breakup and You, Me, and Dupree, which is Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn both cashing their Wedding Crashers checks and being like, I get to make my movies whatever the fuck I want now. Like trying to figure out what their solo comedy persona is after being like ensemble guys or duo guys for so long. And this is like a really weird check cashing for Vince Vaughn. I think he totally backs off after this and makes a series of really unambitious bullshit movies. Like, I don't like any of the other Vince Vaughn vehicles um, as a leading man. And uh, and it's also just a very interesting sort of, like... Uh, uh, it feels like this movie is actively thumbing its nose at what its audience would have wanted to see at that point in time. 
Like, it feels like it, yeah. an almost antagonistic movie in terms of especially how it was marketed. And I also think it just exists in this really interesting pocket of time, like the transition in the year in between 40-Year-Old Virgin and Knocked Up, where, like, sort of the whole comedy movie landscape changes because of Apatow. And this is this weird bridge between, like, the end of uh, what I would say, like, the 90s being A-list comedy leading men either make movies that are character-driven comedies, like Ace Ventura, Austin Powers, Waterboy type shit, where it's like, look at this guy, look at the wig he's wearing, look at the voice. What he's doing isn't that important. It, we just bank on the idea that you'll find this behavior funny, this this whole routine. Yeah, this spectacle of a character. Right. Or it's like the super high concept shit. It's like Liar, Liar and Click, you know, and Bruce Almighty and things where it's like, this happens to this guy? These movies that are almost like supernatural. Nutty Professor, I think, is one that like is both at the same time. But they're yeah. all sort of in that sphere. And then the Apatow wave is suddenly just like, it's like low-key, very low stakes, very low premise, ensemble behavioral hangout movies led by one person who probably hasn't been the lead of a movie before. And this is like right in the middle of all of that shit. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And it reminds me, well, this this episode, I feel like, is also kind of a sequel to our um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith episode, where we delve, like, yeah. very deeply into why people remember that movie, even though it's really not that good. And it's, yeah. a lot of it has to do with most of the controversy around it. There's not much controversy around the breakup, though I do want to point out that um, this was Jennifer Aniston's uh, kind of like, I don't know, I, I would say that it's her rebound movie and also like her rebound relationship because she yeah. does, she dates Vince Vaughn during the making of this movie and pretty soon after the movie comes out, they break up and it and it feels like, you know, after 2005 and kind of like how shitty that year was for her, this is like, uh, she's hot. She's doing great. She's, and you, especially like the ending, which we haven't gone to yet, but like the ending is very much like a, she's going, she's doing her own thing. She's independent. And I think it's so interesting how it kind of mirrors what she was going through at the time. But yeah. Was that same level of like press hullabaloo around this movie. I mean, maybe not quite the level of Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Cause that's maybe the peak like insane tabloid fanaticism around the actors in the movie. But, but it was like, there was a lot of shit around this. There was a lot of coverage of them as a couple. The movie was very hyped up. And then it was like a big hit, but a big hit that I feel like everyone hated. Like, I just remember it getting bad reviews and the public disliking it. And unlike Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I think people don't think about it anymore, even though it had a similar sort of cultural wave to it in the moment. Yeah, because I brought this movie up to multiple people um, over the last week, knowing that we were going to record this. And all of them know what the movie is. Most of them have seen it. But a lot of them either don't remember seeing it or they they remember it being a thing and they don't they don't know if they've seen it. Like they didn't try to see it, but they're like, oh, yeah, there was some sort of energy. There was some sort of hype around this, but wasn't it bad? And that's that's pretty much the yeah. opinion I've heard from my my small polling sample. Um, so it's interesting because I do think it, it much like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, 
it, maybe not a lot of people have super coherent opinions that they remember or that they've kept, but people remember it existing and remember the moment. And I truly held on to a DVD of this movie for 15 years and used to like force friends to borrow it. Cause I'd be like, you don't understand how weird this thing is. Like, <laughs> I, would, I would like give them all the preamble and be like, this is a problem. The Justin Long character sucks. Like it, it's not cohesive but it's incredibly bizarre and there's stuff in it that I think is really potent. And like the main strain of that for me is the fucking poster for this movie is the two of them in bed with duct tape down the middle. Like it's literally the sitcom trope of like, we're in a fight. We have to divide the room. And I feel like all the marketing was, Oh, it's like a revenge movie. It's a tit for tat, like one upsmanship movie. They break up, but they're still in the apartment while they're waiting for the sale to happen. It's just them, like, ping-ponging back and forth. I think that's a thing that the public thought they wanted to see, which was, like, a Jennifer Aniston gets revenge comedy. They also were just hot on Vince Vaughn because it's right off of Wedding Crashers. But then you think about how diametrically opposed the desires were for the audience because it's like, on one hand, everyone wants to see Jennifer Aniston get revenge. On the other hand, this is the guy she's now currently dating, and everyone wants to believe that she's now in a happy relationship. So the movie was almost, like, destined to frustrate people. But out of a couple sequences, most of the movie is just two people being very sad and angry and making each other upset, which I love. Like, the the root of what I love about this (laughs) is the movie feels very, very low stakes and unpleasant. Like, it almost feels like an an exercise in torturing an audience to be like, we're selling you on this idea that it's like the fucking revenge of of the exes. And then we're making you sit there and watch a movie that at times actually reflects the weird sort of like stillborn process of trying to break up with somebody. Like the lingering after effects. Because movies so often, it's like, if you end up with somebody, it's cut and dry and you're happy forever. Or if you break up with somebody, it's cut and dry and you never see them ever again. And this movie is just about, like, conversations you have with someone in the weeks after you break up with them. Yeah, and it's it's also an interesting movie because, like, you think of a show like... Um happy endings where it starts with a marriage not happening and then it's like everybody dealing with it and then eventually they move on to like a hangout comedy where it's like here it doesn't really feel like the movie is interested enough in the friends like the friends are just kind of like accessories to this breakup except for like joey lauren adams who is like I don't, I don't, it's weird because like a lot of these movies that we watch, like rom-coms and there's like a girl best friend, she's always considered like a bitch or annoying or like, like promiscuous. And it's none of those things. She's just a regular person. And it's just almost weird how regular she is because she's in this movie and she's not really giving anybody any room for any bullshit. She's just like, I'm bathing my kids. What the fuck? (laughs) She's bathing her kids. She's giving good advice. She knows how to talk about emotional boundaries in a way that characters in these movies rarely, if ever do. But she also does care about Jennifer Aniston, but but she's not like 
she, it doesn't feel like she's enabling her. No, or, not at all. No. No, or, or like trying to play with her love life because she's bored, which sometimes the married characters in these types of movies, that's their angle is like they're bored in their marriage. And so they want to watch their single friend be messy. But she's just like a mom who's like, I hope you're okay, hon. And her husband, honestly, just, like, reminds me of, like, Kyle in social situations. Like, he's just, like, I don't really want to be part of this. Um, he barely says anything, which yeah. I found really relatable. He's, like, the most, <laughs> he's just, like, I don't know, man. Like, like, the camera will just pan to him, and he's just, like, to remind us that he's there. <laughs> yeah, and he's just, he, like, every once in a while, she'll say something, Joey Lauren Adams will say something shitty about men, and he'll, like, look at her, and she'll just be like, and then that's it. There's, like, no fight or anything. <laughs> but that's, like, all the weird shit. Like, in, in this quiet, subversive way, this movie feels like a revisionist rom-com also happening at sort of like the point in time where the rom-com is starting to die off as a major studio thing because it's just like you're, you're watching it going like joey lauren adams has to have some sort of game right like the supporting characters in these movies always have a game and a subplot and like a strong comedic voice and she's just kind of like a reliable emotional support figure like yeah and also like jason bateman is here and he does nothing in this movie <laughs> he's got one incredible joke. he's got one amazing line reading for me but there's so much of that where like people were like it's not even funny it's just people fighting and being sad for a while and then there'll be these things that are like occasionally more broadly comedic and some of them stick out like absolute sore thumbs like Justin Long is in a completely different movie. Oh, I hate I hate his character in this. Yes. I hate you know what's so funny? I was really into Justin Long when I was younger, and then I met him at a party during like my first or second year in New York, and like I hated him so much. <laughs> what's his in real life energy? Um, like, oh God, like, I feel like he might listen to this, but when I met him, he was like hitting on this drunk girl at this party. And I remember we had one like legendary exchange where I was just like, dude, like, could you just, could you just stop? Like she's drunk. And he was just like, and I was in school at the time. So he was like, don't you have homework to do? long line in a movie like him being like the sassy side character who's like at the bar kind of being an asshole and <laughs> he's like okay the kind of person where say you make a social media status about how you're really tired of a certain thing he's the guy who would do the thing in the comments and think it's funny yeah exactly yeah no i don't know what movie he thinks that he's in also griffin do you know him <laughs> I, I've met him. I will say I'm not I'm not going to play that he was nice to me card. I had a pleasant night with him once drinking with him and mutual friends. But this was recently. And I certainly could see, uh, uh, you know, how being a famous person in your 20s or 30s, you can become uh, aggressively unbearable, especially in that type of social situation. I mean, maybe um, he's grown up in the last four years. <laughs> possible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, he's a guy, I mean, I'll say impartially, like, he is a guy who is very hit and miss for me. Sometimes I actually like him a lot. When he misses for me, he misses for me by a wide distance like this. And there are yeah. things where I'm like, Galaxy Quest, he is perfect. I mean, that's like his first movie. 
But Galaxy yeah. Quest, he's like so on the money and just like nails every single moment he's on screen. There are other things I think he's like perfectly utilized like that. There's also like this falls into this category for me of like Justin Long, I, I think quite uh, uh, publicly like loves doing voices and impressions. Like he never sure became does. a character comedian uh, like we were talking about, you know, like a leading man. And when he's gotten to play larger roles in movies, they tend to be just sort of like Mac dude. Uh, so it feels like sometimes when he's given a small role in a film like this, he just does a lot because he wants to be able to like put on a wig and do a voice and yeah. show that he can do a bunch of shit. It reminded me of his role in like Zach and Mary make a porno, but he's only exactly. in the Same beginning thing. of that. Same thing. Yes. Yeah. But, but it's also <laughs> bizarre. I mean, I'm sure like doing this podcast, doing Bad Romance, you must have covered a handful of movies in which the female character in a romance film works in an art gallery. It's one of those like upscale professions where it's like art gallery. He's an architect. We don't really have to show anything or do anything, but it makes them look sophisticated and cultured and explains why they can afford a nice looking apartment and good clothes. This is one of the only ones where I feel like it actually takes some time investing in her job, like showing her doing it and her opinions on art. I actually like Judy Davis's performance a lot. I love Judy Davis. Yeah, I think all those scenes rule. So it's odd that, like, it gets into this weird, like, everything about this movie being, like, two steps forward, one step back is, like, it almost feels like it's trying to say something by being, like, yeah, she works at art gallery, but we're actually going to make it a real fucking workplace environment. It's going to be a real job. We're not just going to pay lip service to it. You're going to understand her taste in art. Also, because we're a little bit too afraid to fully follow our convictions, Justin Long is going to play the worst swishy stereotype in the world with scenes that make no sense. His hair made me so physically uncomfortable. His hair, like, I actually had to turn away at points. It's so bad. Just to come down from his hair so that I could return to the movie and really absorb everything that was happening to me. Um, Yeah, his hair... Also, his lip gloss, like I'm all I'm all in support of wearing the lip gloss, but just it was just so loud. <laughs> I could not well, hear. Like, all so the loud. thing is, is that like he's not only like playing this like queer stereotype. If Justin Long like was queer, that's just not how he would look. And it's so obvious. Yeah. I wish it was like they had gotten somebody to be like, OK, it's because like, let's let's actually make you look like a real queer person and not this weird like. How did he get his? Is that a wig or? It's absolutely he... a wig, and and that's a huge problem. Is just like this is not a wig movie. This is not a movie where anyone is wearing a wig, and he is wearing such a fucking wig. I was like, like, what Portlandia sketch did you copy paste yeah, into yeah. this? Like, what that right. less? It, it's less good. It, <laughs> it feels like this is what he would pitch if he were hosting SNL in 1997. Like, it's like, I went to an art gallery and the receptionist was bitchy. Can I play them in a sketch? Like, it feels like this is just some back pocket thing he had that he wanted to play at some point. Yeah. 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 And like, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, you can play a really over the top character without it seeming like you hate them. <laughs> yes. Right. This is like, a mocking performance. Other thing, like this, like it feels like. I mean, I'm really psychologizing here, but it feels like Justin Long had a 
a negative interaction or an interaction that he interpreted as negative with somebody that he views as this character and he's like really getting it out of his system. Yes. There's just like such a weird pathos to it. Yeah. He, he yeah. met this guy at a at a reception desk and he held on to it for years. That's what yeah. it really did. <laughs> this was yeah. the outlet for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So this movie, um, I guess like a I feel like every the plot's really basic. It's just like this couple they meet, you know, they meet at a baseball game, which we'll talk about that in a second because that was weird. Uh, they meet at a baseball game. They spend a lot of time together. They have like this whole group of friends together. They have like a bowling league. They live in this like really fancy condo, which I don't understand why it's so fancy because I, because the how fancy that condo is makes me think that Jennifer Aniston pays most of the bills because like almost that. <laughs> eats which makes him look worse anyway uh and so like basically at some point she like has enough it's like has to do with like a dinner party and him not helping and and it just like it blows up from there and it kind of seems like they're gonna get back together for a little bit and then they don't and there's just like a bunch of shenanigans in between that's and the crux of the movie is they have to live together during this yeah, it's, it's the physical proximity during this sort of uh, a conscious uncoupling, if you yeah. will. Con- like, <laughs> yeah, semi conscious. Semi conscious. Yeah, uh, this this drunk uncoupling. <laughs> right. Uh, it, it's one of the things. Like, I remember not being particularly excited for this movie. I I did not like Wedding Crashers at all. I was working as a CIT at a summer camp when that movie came out and like blew That's up, exactly. and I. I spent the whole summer being like, man, I can't wait to fucking get out and see Wedding Crashers. Like everyone's <laughs> talking about Wedding Crashers. And I had been a big old school fan. I was like fully in the tank for old school, was into this new wave of all these like uh, frat pack comedic men as a 15 year old or whatever. And then went to see uh, Wedding Crashers like, you know, four weeks after the hype and was like, this fucking thing? Are you kidding me? Like, it's, it's that movie, A, at the time, I did not find particularly funny. And B, even as a 15-year-old, I was like, this shit's toxic. Like, everything in this movie is actively bad for the culture. Um, but, uh, and, and it's like a thing that I've, like, maybe once every five years since then, rewatch Wedding Crashers to just be like, let me take that temperature again. And I'm like, yeah, still sucks. This thing still sucks. Um, <laughs> but, but I... I was sort of into like, as someone who is overly obsessive about careers and like the career decisions that people make when they become successful, like, okay, what are Wilson and Vaughn going to do now, now that they've become movie stars? And Wilson was absolutely my guy. Like I was a Wes Anderson kid. I fucking loved Shanghai noon. Like that was the guy where I was like, yes, Owen Wilson movies. Here we go. Golden age. Yeah. Right. Like I was like, this is this is a good thing for the culture to get Owen yes, Wilson. He this. <laughs> He's also like a good writer. Like Owen Wilson is actually like a really good writer. Right. And his thought is not <laughs> good story instincts. But I also think what's fascinating is you mean Dupree is the same year, and you mean Dupree just is kind of like a total like wet blanket of a movie. And it, it on paper you're like this is exactly what he should be doing. It feels like a perfect Owen Wilson vehicle, and it just kind of like doesn't exist. It, I, I've said many times in many 
uh, uh, different platforms because I always try to make this uh, recommendation as publicly as I can. Uh, you mean Dupree is the only movie where reading the IMDb quote page is funnier than watching the movie. The quote page for IMDb on IMDb for you mean Dupree, you read it and you're like, is this like a fucking Elaine May movie? Is this perfect? And then you watch it and just tonally none of it works, but there are one liners that read amazingly in that movie. And then, Vaughn, who I think has pretty shitty story instincts, and every movie he makes after this sucks. Uh, This is the one where it feels like he's semi-conscious of, like, what his movie star persona is, which you you brought up the baseball scene. It's like the opening of this movie is him essentially conning her into, like— you know, leaving her boyfriend and going on a date with him. He's doing this wild. Like he's right there. (laughs) Yeah. And he's doing this whole manipulation. I mean, it's very clear that he knows exactly what he's doing about like ordering the food and having her pass it and then letting her keep it. And I was like rewatching this. I I embarrassingly rewatched this movie before you even sent out your tweet about looking for a guest. It was something (laughs) I went to pretty quickly in lockdown as comfort food. And then I rewatched it again today. But um, I, I was like watching it again today, trying to like crystallize some of my thoughts. And I'm like, Vince Vaughn, the cornerstone of his movie star persona is like emotional con artist, right? It's yeah. just like manipulating people around him. His whole thing is his motor mouth. Like I can talk anyone into something slash I can make, I can excuse what I'm doing. I can make the shitty thing I'm doing look innocuous. I can talk myself out of trouble. So you're like swingers, old school, like wedding crashers. That's his thing. He's the instigator. He's the guy who's like talking other people into getting the bad situations. His movie star persona was there's another character who's likable, who's like halfway redeemable. And Vince Vaughn is like the devil on their shoulder. Who's like, come on, you know, let's let's do the fucking thing. You know, let's murder some people. And then this is him trying to be the guy at the center. And the movie opens with him like pulling an emotional grift on this woman who America has just watched get left in like the worst Hollywood romantic affair scandal in a decade. And then the entirety of their happy relationship happens over the opening credits. I was so mad at that. I, you guys, I just, I was like, this is the worst choice. I, you can't give one scene, like one scene where he is not, harassing her at Wrigley Field with a hot dog. Like, you couldn't even get her a fucking beer? Like, I was... And it was, like, fucking iMovie, like, pictures of them, like, (laughs) popping and pasting together. It's like, oh, look, they're smiling with ice cream. And it's like, was that before or after, um, you know, he ignored her for three hours or she complained about him for, like, I just... This is the dividing line. Because I thought that the photos were going to tell a story of, like, her becoming less enthused. Like, maybe this is me being too artful in the thoughts that, like, <laughs> what if it started out where, like, they're both happy. And then as it, like, keeps going on, he's still happy, but she's not. Because, I mean, she's the one with the problem in the movie. But there's nothing, there's no indication of that. They're just no. happy and then yeah. they're not. <laughs> So she no, got this her is out like, of Wrigley Field, and then she was fine. Like she just needed to be out of Wrigley Field, and then she was she was spell love love spell bound. So I remember I like was not particularly enthused for this movie, 
then I read a review that like panned it. And in it, they said, like, this thing is so bad. Everyone wants to see this couple together and they're never in the same shot. And I was like, well, that sounds interesting. Like, that sounds like a deliberate choice. And I was a big Peyton Reed fan. Like, I fucking loved uh, Bring It On and Down With Love. And Down With Love is such, like, an auteurist movie for a studio comedy. Like, it's such a fucking bold thing. It's such a director's film that it felt like it was really announcing, like, a new major guy. And his career up before Bring It On is, like, he did um, most of the, the Upright Citizens Brigade TV show on Comedy Central. He was the guy who directed the Back to the Future ride. Like, he had all these weird credits that were kind of cool. Then he makes two cool movies, and then he was supposed to make the Fantastic Four movie. That was supposed to be his blank check movie after Down With Love. And he was going to make the Fantastic Four movie at Fox set in the 60s. And it was going to be like a retro 60s pastiche superhero movie in the style of Down With Love. That sounds amazing. Yes, yes. And he was like, my biggest inspiration is A Hard Day's Night. Like the whole thing with the Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four are like my favorite superheroes. I'm like obsessed with them. I, I, as a child and in high school, which is doodle. And I wrote a fucking Fantastic Four script as a 15 year old. Like I, I love them. But part of what I love about them is that, uh, they were the only characters in the Marvel universe who didn't have secret identities, who were like celebrities and public figures. And there's this weird thing where they're sort of like politicians. Like there's like the front facing, like how they speak to the public versus what they're actually doing. And he wanted to make this like 60s set stylized Fantastic Four movie that's about them grappling with celebrity. And then Down With Love bombed and they pulled him off of it. And like this is his rebound movie several years later. So yeah. So knowing like being invested in all of that, hearing him do all these interviews, explaining what his Fantastic Four movie was going to be. Then when I read in a review, oh, the two movie stars are never in the same shot together. I was like, this is deliberate. This guy's cool. And he's doing something. There has to be something going on here. If critics are already this fucking angry at this movie. And I remember being at a high school party and getting sad for some reason, it didn't take much to make me sad when I was 15 years old. I was very <laughs> much a lock myself in the bathroom and cry uh, kind of person. Uh, but I remember just being sad and just deciding to go see the breakup by myself. And I went to see the breakup by myself as like a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, uh, uh, you know, uh, I guess it was junior year of high school, um, uh, like 1030 at 34th street. And I saw it by myself and I just felt at that opening credit sequence, the entire audience deflate. Like you could just <laughs> feel the entire audience be like, what is this movie like, doing? Why is it doing this? And why is this choice yeah. made? Like, why are we all experiencing this? Right. And I was like, I'm all in. He's doing the fucking Hanukkah of romantic comedies. He's doing the romantic comedy where you literally never get the good stuff. <laughs> They're not even giving you one scene of them being happy together. Yeah, no, no, it, no yeah. not even not even a moment. Not even a moment. There is no uh yeah, there's no scene of chemistry, there's no scene of romance. No. It's just straight to the end. Yeah. To the end. Yeah. Um and so it, it's interesting because like 
how tropey it is. And I mean, I think of like rom-coms as tropey, but I feel like there are some points where in a rom-com in any rom-com where they try to subvert what you were, what you would expect. But Vince Vaughn is exactly how you would expect him to be at all times. And Jennifer Aniston is the same. And it's just weird that it's, I was getting angry watching the. It's weird because I actually ended up liking it by the end, which I don't oh, yeah. know what's going on with me. I'm a mess. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I was like, but the whole time I was angry because it's like, what if they just had a conversation? What if they had an actual conversation? Nobody's yelling. They're looking directly at each other. They are communicating directly to each other how they feel. And it never happens. Until, well, it does. It it never really happens correctly. Like, I guess near the end, it kind of happens. But there's still so many things unsaid in that in their scene together. That's just like so annoying. And also there's the fact that Jennifer Aniston is constantly being like kind of humiliated and undermined by the movie. And Vince Vaughn doesn't really get it until like the very end. It takes forever for anyone to do anything wrong to him or tell him, Hey, you're doing the wrong thing. Nobody does it until the very end. But I, I love that Favreau scene so much. Like it gets to this thing where it's like, this is a romantic comedy where they're starting out with the basic tropes and then they cut out every scene the audience enjoys and they only leave the scenes in that any screenwriter would take out because they're unpleasant, uncharismatic. And you have that Favreau scene, which is just like, you suck. You're a piece of shit. Like it's his best scene. That scene is so good. Right. It's not the kind of like Pat, like, oh, the guy has to learn to like grow up a little bit and learn to be a better guy scene. I feel like so often these movies give these guys cleaner paths to recovery and then they also just fix themselves too quickly and too successfully. Yes. They're accepted too fast. And this is just the scene where not not his partner, but his best friend is like, but you suck. I mean, we know that, right? I'm just stating the obvious, which is you're an asshole. You don't care about anyone. You make everyone come to you. You've never shown compassion or empathy for anyone else ever in your life. That's fine. We all understand that's the reality. Anyway, have a good night. It's, <laughs> it's, not, and he, it's so good. John Favreau is probably my favorite character because yeah. he's just like yeah. calling the shit out the whole time. And Best even before in the movie. he fully comes for Vince, he's like, you're sad. Just admit it. Like, he's right. like, you're sad because you love her. And Vince is like, oh, no, whatever. And, like, the whole time he's trying to get through to him. And then he's finally like, dude, like, we can all see you. You can't see yourself. So, like, get a mirror or something. <laughs> I think it's such a canny performance. And, like, I was talking about this with friends the other day where it was like, what's the deal with Favreau? Like, it's like, I don't want to say that he's a genius, but also he's been right so many times, like so wildly right. And you look at him making like the one Star Wars thing that everyone seems to unambiguously love in the modern era. He like launches the Marvel universe and like sets the boilerplate like model that everyone follows. It's the most successful franchise. He makes Elf, which is arguably like the only 
Christmas family film to be canonized of the last 25 years. And even just like swingers, he's at like the tip of like the sort of nineties indie revolution. But I do just think it's like, he's somewhat just sort of clever about Mm -hmm. like audience sort of reactions and, and how audiences process things and what they want to see. And that scene he plays so offhand where he's, it's not this scathing indictment. It's not the big, like, come to Jesus moment where he has to, like, give him the hard lesson. He's just, like, stating the facts. And there's that thing he says that's so withering where he's like, you know, like, the thing that's really brutal is this is the first girl you actually really like. Like, this is the only person I've ever seen you date who you actually really like. She worked so hard, and still you did everything you could to make sure she didn't get close to you. Like, you're just broken. You're fundamentally broken. Anyway, have a good night. Like, this just ends on this note of, like, anyway, another beer? Like, it's just him saying the obvious. It's and, incredible. And, right, as opposed to every Vince Vaughn movie after this. The ones before this, Vince Vaughn's allowed to be a piece of shit because he's not the lead, right? And yeah. every Vince Vaughn movie after this, he just tries to make himself ultimately redeemable. It's like, he's still this sort of swindler type He's still an asshole. He's still, like, disrespectful to everyone around him. But the movie tries to argue, like, but he's cute, right? And this is the one where it feels like Vince Vaughn, who he was the one where, like, post-Wedding Crashers Universal was like, anything you want to make, we want your next movie. And he was like, I'd like to make a movie about a breakup, but a breakup, like, actually kind of realistically with all the ugliness. And they were like, whatever the fuck you want, he hires the writers, he gets story credit on the movie, he hires Peyton Reed. Like, this was his idea. And it's a movie that's about how much the Vince Vaughn character sucks. <laughs> like, and even just the fact that, like, even though the movie is obviously weighted more towards him, you have scenes like there's the, the, the whole concert thing is so devastating to oh, me. I hate I, I hate that so much because like it, not only because it just it just sucks, but also because like this is something that would totally happen. Like it happened to me like it oh, wasn't a concert. Same. same. Like, yeah, we're like my relationship with a person was like getting to the point where it was about to be unsalvageable. And I was just like, look, let's just let's just have dinner and like really talk it out. And then I got dressed for dinner and they never showed up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Like, like, I think it does a really good job of like showing her get dressed and like arrive, like just all of those moments when you're preparing to be present in this vulnerable way. And then like your fear happens, like the reason that you wouldn't want to even try happens. And you're like, well, fuck my feelings. There's all this stuff in the movie that is like embarrassingly vulnerable to me where you keep on waiting for there to be some big comedic release and there isn't like it does. That's the thing. Like I just watched this and I'm like, it feels like an experiment. Like this movie truly feels like a social experiment and the audience of like teasing them with something and then withholding it and making them sit through something they pointedly didn't want to see. But it's so sort of embarrassingly vulnerable the scene where she comes out to him, they've been fighting. You have that scene that's so bleak where she has the bad date, she leaves early and she comes home to him having like the stag party. 
And there's the imagery of him just looking at her as like the women are dancing around him, the lights and the music are going on. And you just see how empty he is, how unhappy he is. And they just stand there in silence, looking at each other. It was terrible. It made me feel terrible because yeah. it's just like, it's like he's going out of his way <laughs> to not like to not make things right it's like it's so it's why like that's such a leap yeah yeah so then it's like the next morning is when or at least it's like the next scene or two when she comes in and says i bought these tickets they were for you originally i could ask my sister but why not and it's like so uncomfortable to watch her even give him that like give him the pleasure of that you're like don't do it don't give him the olive branch but you also want to believe like maybe this movie is working towards some sort of reality where they can learn to be kind to each other and not get back together yeah and then right seeing her get ready seeing her go to the concert leave the tickets for him decide to get two beers rather than one sit (laughs) there by herself then go out, check to see if he's in the hallway, then come back, then cut <laughs> back to her sitting alone. Like, the movie spends so much time with how thoroughly embarrassed she is by this night. And also, the thing that jumped out to me the most, she buys two beers at a concert and they cost $8 combined. I know this movie's 15 years old, no. but absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely wrote that down as a no. I didn't even write commentary on it. I just wrote no. down the number. That's <laughs> the just... only thing I wrote down. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yes. I would love to be able to buy one beer for $8 at a concert. Oh, yeah. Two for eight is bullshit. The kind of concert it was, it's definitely a, a space where there'd be water for like $6. It's and the beer You'd get like a Coors for $12, like in like a small plastic cup because they're just like, well, you have to deal with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then, right, there's, there's like another one of those moments where I'm just – sitting there in a theater by myself as a 17-year-old, hearing anger in the audience, and I'm, like, leaning in and going, like, more, more, more. When <laughs> he comes home, he's forgotten about the concert entirely, and when he opens the door, she turns around because she doesn't want him to see her crying, because she doesn't want to give him the power of knowing that he upset her that much. And she tries to retain her composure making small talk with her back turned because at this point she's so embarrassed that she even gave him a chance again. Like that scene is so brutal. There's so much shit like that where you're just like, it's wallowing in it. It's yeah. It. And that's the thing is like, this movie is good at those moments. So when you say that the thing you like about the movie is that it causes much suffering yeah, <laughs> and it's pretty much picking out the ugly parts of a breakup or the embarrassing vulnerable parts rather than the super funny parts or the parts that, you know, maybe feel healing or redemptive. This is just like, no, this shit is embarrassing and sucks. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Also, also like the fact that like not a single date that she goes on works and the date, uh, the one where it's one of the seventh heaven guys, I'm sure he has a name, but he was seventh heaven guy where seventh <laughs> heaven guy just like gets so into Vince Vaughn oh. that like, even when she abandons the date, he's like, Oh yeah. Tell, tell Vince Vaughn to call me. And, I just what that okay that actually 
that has happened to me. Not, not this situation. I I was not like breaking up with an ex who, but where I've gone on dates with someone and then like they became obsessed with someone I introduced them to like a, a, a guy friend or something. And like, or not even a guy friend. Cause I would be into that. I'd be like, Oh cool. That's great. You guys are friends. Like I've had it where I went to a comedy show, which is a huge mistake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never do that. Never, never, never do that. Date and have them. And they like became obsessed with like the one person on the lineup that I didn't like. <laughs> like That's I horrible. love them and you don't want to talk shit cause it's not that deep, but you're just like, Oh cool. And then they just keep talking like, ah, oh, that bit was so funny. And you're just like, Oh, I have no respect for this person comedically. They're everything I stand against. Yeah, yeah. And I don't yeah. even like them that much as a person. But, like, <laughs> not, again, it's not deep enough to talk shit about them to this date. So I'm just going to, like, not. Nah. And that, I don't know, that whole dynamic was really interesting to me because I feel like that's a real dynamic that happens in the world, when, especially when you're starting to date someone, is they become really into somebody they meet through you or even they're just into a celebrity that you don't like or something. And it just kind of overpowers your ability to connect with them. But it also feels like that, that whole scene is about like, yeah, he's charming at first, you know, like Aniston's here with this guy who's so blown away by like how fun he was and how great a time they had playing fucking Xbox together. And it's like, yeah, I know. That's why I started dating him. He sucks. There's no like there, there. He's just sort of like, immediate surface level like sleazy charm yeah it's like it it sucks so much for her to hear that because she's like yeah i got grifted by that and now here i am on this date with you that we're not gonna have another date because this sucks yeah can we talk about the pool table yes the pool table was like a big point of i mean it may be like i mean i i i live with my partner so we've had these conversations now but it's so interesting to me and it's like i see this a lot in movies where it's like she won't let me get a this or she won't let me get a that and then there's like at the end of the movie where she's like oh yeah if we had gotten a smaller couch and we had moved something around there might be room for a pool table what bothers me is not that she said that even though like she really didn't need to give him that um what really gets me is that it never occurred to him to be like here is how it would fit in the room here's what we can do and also like if i get a pool table here's something that i don't necessarily like that you can get it's weird that he never like negotiates it he just like acts like a fucking child what's just like i want a pool table it's like okay but like you're sharing a space so like come up with a plan but that's the root (laughs) of this movie is like this guy has never done the work in any area of his life he wants everyone to come to him and even just like the amount of time they spend on on the tour company that he has with his oh my god vincent d'onofrio who seems to be in a completely different movie also (laughs) but that's like a good completely different movie performance i agree (laughs) I also, I, the, the bus tour thing was so funny because like, 
I don't know, like half my friends when I lived in Chicago worked for those. And it's just so funny. Like when he talks about how he's the talent of the bus tour now, it's certainly like I laugh so hard because it's definitely true that if you if you're really charming and funny, you can get tips and like make good money. And there's people who are better at it. But him acting like this is his one man show when there are so many people in Chicago that do those tours just made me laugh so hard. Also, this movie is so aggressive about being in Chicago. I'm like, we got it. <laughs> I do like, think so. Way, we're in Chicago. And I was like, I guess like I lived there. So maybe if you haven't lived there, you need that. But it was just funny. It's like the Wiener Circle and Wrigley Field. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> but that's also so much for the Vaughn influence of like, he's a Chicago mm-hmm. guy. And he's like, I get to do whatever I want now. I get to call the shots. I'm making a movie about my hometown. Like I want it. Say which restaurants we're going to. We're having a scene at Wrigley Field, like all of that shit. Yeah, that's true. And and in that sense, you know that, like, I'll give him that. I don't because I wasn't like, oh, I don't want this to be here. It was just funny because it was so like he's like Chicago proud. (laughs) Yeah, no, I never, I for not for one second of this movie did I forget that it was in Chicago. Right? How could you? Like sometimes. Kyle does this very annoying thing when we watch movies where he's like, where is this set? Like for any movie, it could be like a rock. It could be like anything. And it's like, I don't fucking know. Like this is an establishing shot of fucking whatever. People are speaking fucking whatever. This is like the one where I'd be like, it's Chicago. (laughs) You don't have to pull up like the movie summary or like try to remember. I'm always like checking the production notes so that Kyle will know where a fucking thing is set. Anyway. (laughs) But you talk about like his his overvaluing of himself on the tour, it's such a good, like, well, that's who this fucking guy is. Like, of course, he's, he's like not focused enough to become an actor or a comedian. Right. Right. But his only value is talking, you You know? Yeah. You would think he would be like a comedian. (laughs) But he's too lazy. Like he's too lazy to do the work and he doesn't want the rejection of failing. Can it's you like, imagine this character bombing? He would, right. I mean, I've seen he fucking lose it. He would right. melt down and like throw a fit and ruin it for everyone. It would be incredible. <laughs> That's where like, I think this movie is like bizarrely critical of this character is that it's like, he is so obsessed with being the king of his own little world that he's constructed this like business that his brothers have to do all the heavy lifting on around him being able to control an environment where everyone is captive to listening him and, and repeating the same jokes, presumably, over and over and over again, multiple times a day and having people love it over and over again, but in this very superficial way, right? Like, he never has to develop new material. He doesn't need to have actual relationships with these people, but he holds them captive for a couple hours. And he's got all yeah. these ambitions of how big it could be, but he's refusing to do any of the work outside of being the talent, just saying like, but I'm funny. You guys aren't funny. That's what I bring to the table. You do everything else. Yeah, it's he just won't give Vincent D'Onofrio the logs. And I'm just like, just give him the fucking, like, it would take like, what, like 10 minutes to like find the files and just to fucking give it to him. And I was just, and by the time, like, by the end, like, Vincent's just like, I have a family that I need to get back to. And it's just like, you really pushed him to this point where he's like talking about his family. Just give him the fucking logs. It's like the Favreau scene. Like his best friend in the world is like, you have never given anything to anyone in your entire life not even a thought you have never put a thought towards someone else's well-being 
Uh, yeah. Oh my God. It's, I mean, so there, I'm, there are like a few scenes that like before it really gets ramped up that kind of, or like when, when, um, when like Higgins, not Steve Higgins, the other Higgins, the John movie Michael. Higgins, um, like, uh, um, puts his um, foot on his throat. That's great. That's a, that's a wonderful scene. Also, what is that acapella group called? I f- the Tone Rangers? The oh, Tone Rangers. I forget. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, no, I really loved the Tone Rangers. I loved him John getting voted out. fantastic in this movie. He yeah. was just a delight. I loved him. That's the successful version of the Justin Long scene. Like, this is, oh, yeah, like, here's a set piece with broader comedy, with someone playing a broader character with higher stakes and more sort of mishaps. But it works because Higgins is, like, a fucking artist. Well, like, yeah. he is, and he and he sells you on the character. Like you, I like him. Like I think he's great, and, and he feels and, like a real person. Yeah, like of course he's annoying, but like he's also genuine, and that's why he's annoying is because like he's just like this. And and John Michael Higgins is like, yeah, this is the guy that I am. Whereas with Justin Long, it's like he's winking at you while he's doing it in a way yeah. that takes you out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also like the scene where uh, he gets voted out of the bowling league. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. That also like, OK, what did you expect? Like he shows up. This goes back to really him overestimating how likable he is, because um, not only does he want everyone else to come to him, he wants to call the shots at all times. But he also just assumes people like him more than they do. And, like, yes, he can charm people at first. And, yes, he somehow has people in his life despite being an asshole. But it's not like everyone loves him and doesn't know that he sucks. Like, John Favreau knows. Other people know. So when he shows up at the bowling alley and he's just like, oh, I'm here for couples bowling, you know, and, and tries to pull a whole thing where the bowling league is going to choose him over Jennifer Aniston um based on their bowling skills like yeah. nobody cares like you're an adult like that's <laughs> in the bowling league that's awesome we all do things that we need but stop pretending this matters as <laughs> like an actual sport <laughs> right it's like his weird competitiveness that he's like i'm invincible because i bowl well and they're like we it's don't so care <laughs> the bowling is the excuse to hang out we could be playing fucking table tennis it doesn't matter <laughs> like yeah i just not to get too metatextual about it, but you go like Vince Vaughn is like struggling actor, right? Then he and Favreau make swingers and it's this big breakout. And he's the guy where everyone's like, Oh fuck, this guy's like handsome and he's charming and he's funny. He's going to be a movie star. And then Hollywood immediately starts putting him in dramatic roles. They put him in Jurassic world and they let him play Norman Bates and psycho. They let him play creeps. They let him play leading men. But like, it's, suddenly you're tampering down all of his weird sleazy charm and trying to have him play straight. And then there's like sort of the rebound of him doing like dodgeball and uh, old school and wedding crashers and all these movies where he gets to play full sleazeball in like full studio comedies. Here's the one where he gets to be the guy in the movie and the movie's about like, this guy sucks and full of nothing. He just talks fast and there's nothing more there it's so fascinating that he's the one who was like this is the movie i wanted to make it's about how i i kind of don't have anything deeper going on (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i went at the end of the movie i was like this is a movie about a man discovering he needs to go to therapy 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, and for that reason, like, that is what I like about it. Like, I was frustrated and angry most of the movie, but I did like the ending. And I did like that, like you said, he doesn't change super fast. It's not easy. It's not like, oh, I just realized I'm a jerk. I can magically change. Because no matter how conscious someone is about their flaws, it takes a long time to undo your your patterns, right? Um, but I like I like that it feels like this is all leading up to him actually deciding he wants to do that emotional work, whatever it looks like for him. And the scene where he makes her dinner, like she comes home with a guy who she thinks he thinks is her date. And he's like cleaned up the place, made dinner, prepared the whole speech. And he thinks he's in the fucking romantic comedy where a guy can fix themselves and save the relationship over the span of two hours. Like they can make up for years of shitty behavior. And he like won't let her speak, won't let her explain that it's not a date, gives her the whole pre-prepared monologue, clearly thinks that he's nailed it, like plays it like he has won the movie. And then she just says, I just genuinely don't feel anything for you anymore, which is the most withering response to just be like, I know you too well. I can't be tricked. There's no part of me that like believes in you anymore. And then he just leaves her alone and she shows off this piece of art she's selling and then sits there and looks at this dinner he made. Like he, he thinks that he can just do this sort of boilerplate like, look, I understand. I did some really hard soul searching for one hour and then I made a dinner. I'm good now. Do I get to be the hero again? And she's like, fuck you. No, it's like too late. I, I can't unlearn all of your shitty behaviors. I've seen you at your worst. I, I can't play ignorant anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's exactly it. Incredibly uh, realistic. And I, I really, I was so relieved because I was about to get really mad if she was like, thank you so much for this dinner. <laughs> I, was no, really right. I mean, I feel like, from the beginning of the movie, you know, it's it's weird because, like, you know, there are some movies where the protagonist is like, wow, like, I'm just very lucky just to have this person and I don't want to fuck it up. And the fact that, like, she's so much better than him in yeah. every way and it takes him so long to figure it out. I think that that was, like, the angriest thing. It's, like, every scene, it's, like, she is, like, dressed to the nine. She's, like, taking care of everything. She's cleaning the house. She's cooking. And he's just, like, in a bowling shirt. Just right. fucking... He's an athlete, Jordan. <laughs> it's, like, when he's wearing the... Like, in the scene where she... Where he's, like, explaining that he... Oh, yeah, I forgot about the concert. He's wearing a bowling shirt. And I was he's been kicked off. Matt, it was it was actually kind of annoying because the guy the dinner that I mentioned earlier, the guy who stood me up, also wore bowling shirts. So I was just like, I just relived my trauma here. Like the thing is, the the moral really is never trust a man who wears bowling shirts when he's not bowling. Yeah, yeah. Keep the bowling shirts (laughs) confined to the bowling alley. Yeah, it it also. Because this movie is about a breakup, she's not sort of shunted with the, like, love interest role where she only exists when she's in the same space as him. Like, you get scenes of her on her own, uh, not just talking to friends and not having her friends be catty, but having to be an emotionally supportive sister who has a life of her own. But even just, like, the amount of time you see her at her job and shit, 
you're constantly reminded of how much more capable and high functioning and likable and skilled she is. Like you see all these scenes removed from him where you're like, this is like a woman who really has her life together other than the fact that she went all in on this shitty guy. Like that's her (laughs) only flaw as a human being. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like the fact that there's multiple interactions in the art gallery you know, where yeah. she's masked out or she's connecting with men in ways that are that feel much more present and much more equal than when she's talking to, to Vince. And he's just like, oh, go away, mom. I'm trying to play video games. Yeah, <laughs> like hot, hot art guy, which he's played by oh. an actor that I've seen before. Ivan so. Sturgey, who I feel like just became like a, a, a sort of a stock company hottie of network television after this. Wait, what's his name? Ivan Sturgey, right? Isn't that who it is? Yeah, yeah. yeah he was yeah. informed. Um, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> right, he was crossing Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was... Yeah, the... The fact that, like, he was, like, listening to her, like, he's oh. not my type at all, but I was like, it's so hot that he's, like, listening to her. <laughs> I also think that's such a good scene where she, like... Because I'm someone who does not understand fine art and the sort of like buyer's market around it. Uh, Everything I collect is dumb and cheap. So the idea (laughs) of spending that much money on something, even if it's one of a kind because of like the market, always just seems absurd to me. And I just love that scene where she's he's like, "Is is this a good investment? And she's like, look, you never know. My strategy is if you're asking me don't buy anything unless you can't imagine not having it because you're never going to be able to predict whether or not it's worth anything i think that's such a nice scene and that's yeah. such a nice like sentiment and for like as you're saying like you know the stock like oh she works an art gallery job it's like she's got an actual perspective on shit yes because i feel like in these movies um i was also interested with how much money she made but this is because like i've worked at art galleries a few times and made very little money mm-hmm. <laughs> but i think i would be more justin long's uh, position so i was like <laughs> what like does she come from money i was thinking about the economics of of the condo a lot the condo is too nice man oh it's yeah, too yeah. Nice. managing the art gallery unless she's getting commission which i'm assuming she is i i guess her i guess i just answered my own question i think her the money would come from commission. But I, I really like that conversation because in these movies, the women who work at art galleries either tend to seem like they've never thought about art in their lives. Yeah. And it's like, I have lipstick and I work at an art gallery, blah, 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 I have a mean boss. And you're like, okay, what do you like? <laughs> right. Or they're very um, pretentious in, a, in an empty way where they're like, yes, I only care about the hottest artist. And so I like that it seems like she actually pays attention to art and um, she knows that the art world is bullshit, but she's also just like, well, you know everything's bullshit so find something that you like and kind of deflates the game of like buying art for investment yeah yeah exactly it's like you shouldn't do it for that reason so figure out what you like yeah i mean and and him it's like his finances are constantly talked about only in that like they're struggling to figure out how to expand the the tour company so it's like it has to be her when she yeah. tries to quit, Judy Davis gives her the blank check and says, like, whatever amount you want, that's your salary now. 
So it just seems like she's really good at her job. She works on commission. She must make a ton. But yeah. even though it's not stated, you're like, oh, so they bought an apartment together, but probably she paid for 80 to 90 percent of it. It's so hard to imagine his name. Like, I got really bogged down in this. I was like, I don't even know if his credit or his income would be high enough for his name to even be on the mortgage. Like, yeah, it's, so it's, it's wild like, that they both own that condo. I like, <laughs> this is just actually her mortgage, and, like, she's not kicking him off because maybe she lied to him. Like, maybe she pretended that he was on the mortgage because she knew he was going to be a baby. I mean, I created this. I would believe that. It's not even that interesting, but I was so like fixated with the fact that I was like, I'm pretty sure this is her condo. Like I feel like this movie engages those lines of thought more than other movies like this that like brush over it. I mean, the crux of the thing is that Jason Bateman scene where he's like, look, you own it together. It's going to be hard to legally decide who gets it. Like the mere fact that you're like, she must have paid for the bulk of this. And yet to yeah. some degree, she's rolling over and not fighting it because she is so she has been so rolled over by his charm and his yeah. sort of manipulation for so long. That's the, I- the what are you gonna say, Jordan? Sorry. I would really like. I wish that there was like a cut scene where like we could see them like actually falling in love and figuring out like how did that even work? Mm-hmm. What did he say? I just have so many questions about like how like even in like some of the pictures, I'm just like, but how did he do this? Like when they were like doing couples costumes, I was like, would he really get into a couples costume? Like what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> I think for the condo and hot dogs, I think is the answer. <laughs> Yeah, like I, that was one thing for me that I kept thinking, because I really liked the way that the movie ended, but I was so frustrated during most of the movie. And I think I would have been less frustrated if they had tried to give us at least one scene showing their relationship, because then I would be more invested in it falling apart. And like, on one hand, it is a choice to not show us that. But I also, because Vince Vaughn is so unlikable, <laughs> like, and Jennifer Anderson is just pulling so much more weight, and the way yeah. that he meets her is so skeezy. I, I wish that we had even a montage that's actually a montage and not just like photos. You know, even a montage that shows them doing things actively would have helped me um, just care more about them. And I don't, I, yeah. I wonder if it was a situation where he was really nice until he realized that he locked it down and then he immediately stopped being nice. I feel like that's what happened. Yeah. He was actually like, what if he just didn't have a place to live? And then he got got in by the condo and then he's like, I'm in. I mean, yeah. He's like a full tilt narcissist. Like it's not even like, oh, he's putting on the charm and then he turns it off. It's that like, charm is his entire currency and he doesn't even consider doing things for other people like it, right. it truly doesn't cross his mind yeah he's not rejecting that notion it's just like why would that come up like why would right. that be part of it for me that's the thing i think it's in the the scene after the concert where she's like i've been trying so hard and he's like well you need to like tell me you need to tell me what you want me to do and she's like i that's the thing i don't want to have to fucking teach you how to be a semi-decent human being like she just keeps on giving him chances even to just like break up on friendly terms yeah like she's like i just need you to acknowledge that i also have feelings and personhood and he's like well why would i do that (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Right. Like well, that's confusing to me. Right. Uh, <laughs> I keep on, you know, the whole time. Cause like, you know, at the end of our episodes, we usually like, um, suggest an alternative movie mm-hmm. and I can't, I can't think of one. I don't think there's another movie that even tries to do what this movie is doing. Even if you, it doesn't work for you. Like the closest analogy is like shit, like an unmarried woman. It's like, you know, like seventies new Hollywood movies that are like kind of dramedies, but there's nothing like this. I would argue. Yeah. I mean, I think there was like maybe Celeste and Jesse forever, which I think that's what that's called, but I yeah. barely remember that movie. But that's also <laughs> like an indie movie, you know? And I, I yeah. like that movie, but that's like, I, this is another through line is just, I like movies where people break up and stay broken up because I feel like it's a frustration I have with how romance and relationships are depicted in movies that it's like, if people break up, it's seen as a failure and the audiences don't want to see characters lose. And it's like, no, like most relationships end, uh, you know, like yeah. most relationships aren't as toxic as this one is, but there are very few relationships that end with one person dying, which is the only technical way that a relationship can end successfully. <laughs> but it's like, you didn't break up until death. You were happy the whole time. <laughs> and I, I wish more movies had that maturity of like people can be happy for the time they're happy together and then grow apart or change yeah. or whatever it is. Like, uh, it's uh, not relationship is not invalidated because it ends. Right, right. That's a thing I always want to see reflected in like romantic comedies and uh, uh, sleeping with other people. The Leslie Headland movie is always my go-to answer of like my favorite rom-com of the last 10 years. Like that's great the one that I think rules but i remember sitting there in the theater and getting so excited where i was like fuck she's moving away and the movie's gonna be about the fact that they never really got it together and then they go on and they learn something from each other and they have their other relationships it's sweet that they get married at the end but i still remember having that excitement of like fuck is this movie gonna do it is it really gonna do it trying to deal with this Right, which, I, once again, doesn't invalidate the emotional connection that the two of them have had for the entire movie for them not to end up legally married. And there's, you know, I, I uh, one of the reasons I uh, uh, asked if we could push back the record of this episode 30 minutes is I was trying desperately online to find the alternate ending. I couldn't find my DVD of the movie, and there was an alternate ending that they shot that went over so poorly with test audiences that they like reshot the ending in the movie now at the last second. And because there was so much gossip around the movie because of like the Brad Pitt shit and her relationship with Vaughn, everyone was like, fuck, what was the ending originally? What's it going to be? And I think people were confounded. That the ending is like them running into each other a year later, having a semi-polite conversation and walking away where then they were like, then what was the original ending? Like if that's the happy ending to please the audience, what was the original ending? And I ended up finding it on a fucking Facebook Jennifer Aniston fan site. Like it wasn't on YouTube anywhere. It I wasn't even on like <laughs> Daily Motion or anything. I was committed to rewatching it before this because I wanted to remind myself what the difference was. And what's fascinating is it's 75% the same script. Like he makes the same comment about like, you did something, your hair is different where he compliments her, but he can't say what it is. It ends with the turnaround. They look at each other. He gives the wink. 
Both of them end the same way. Most of the lines are similar. He talks about, she congratulates him on finally getting the boat. Uh, he says, like, you should come. I definitely will. On the house, that'll be great. Like, word for word, the same script, except the major difference is they run into each other and they each have a new partner. That's, like, the only major difference in the original ending is that she's got a boyfriend who's a less attractive-looking version of Vince Vaughn, and he's got a girlfriend who's a less attractive-looking version of Jennifer Aniston. And they even do the fake-out. Like, it happens at some weird fair or some public event, and there's this big crane shot, and they deliberately try to make you think it's six months later and they're back together again because she has the Jennifer Aniston hairdo. And then when it cuts in closer, you realize, oh, it's some lookalike. And then she sees him... Uh, he sees her and her like doughy schlub guy. And then the dialogue is almost exactly the same outside of them awkwardly having to introduce the, the new spouses to each other. And the end of the movie is then there's like big camera pull out and you see whatever public fair they're at, the tone Rangers are doing a concert. And the end of the movie is the tone <laughs> Rangers singing rainbow connection. But, but it's like ends on the same terms. They walk away. They're polite with each other. And apparently the thing was people were like, she, like, she needs more of a win. I, it was like the weird thing of like they don't want them to move on from each other, especially I guess because they were a couple in real life and they felt like she had gotten fucked over in the pit thing, that they wanted an ending that had the chance of reconciliation. But I, what I like about the ending is it just feels like them being like, oh, that's like – it's weird that we were so emotionally invested in each other. Like the ending is like, yeah, now with some distance, it's weird that a, we were in love with each other and B that we fought that hard. Like who cares? We can just make small talk now. Like there's that slight hint of like, well, obviously there's something that reminds them about what they liked about each other in the first place. But that ending does not feel super optimistic to me. Yeah. I, I hearing about this alternate ending, I would have been annoyed. Like yeah. I like, I like, like, like I said, I liked that it ended with this realistic interaction where at first you're not sure you're like, are they going to get back together right now? Like, are they going right. to go, is it going to end with them like at a coffee shop, you know, reconnecting and, and it's left open to whether they're going to get back together. But the movie is like, no, they're not getting back together. This is just life. Yeah. It's and just like a low key run in where they've learned how to be polite to each other. And I walk away from it being like, she's never going on that fucking boat. That's the nice no. thing she says to him. He's never no, going on that fucking boat. Right. Why would she oh. waste herself in that way? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, she got to travel and, like, you know, like, get herself together. And meanwhile, he just, like, bought one good outfit. Like, right. I, was, I was looking at him and I was just like, this is the only good outfit he has worn in this movie. This is the only good outfit I've ever seen Vince Vaughn in, period. I, I was, was like, gonna, wow. Uh, yeah, I was definitely going to argue that it's maybe the only good outfit he's ever worn. And yeah. he, you know, and props to him for wearing it for this moment to make this moment, you know, really hit harder. Right. He, he lost five pounds and he got a, a, he got this outfit. a boilerplate, like the bare minimum outfit for an adult to have in their closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
I was, I was, I felt bad for how proud of him I was for wearing that outfit. I was just like, wow. I feel like maybe it's just because I'm still in my twenties. I feel like if I had broken, broken up with a guy and I'd run into him and he was in that outfit, I'd be like, wow, maybe he's changed. <laughs> he runs into him and he's like carrying multiple bags out of a hardware store. Like you can tell, like in this sort of condescending way. She's sort of like, that's cute that you're, like, doing grown-up things, finally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Watching him carrying something, like, which means that he's going to have to unpack the bags, which means that he's going to have to do right. some kind of effort. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's going to, like, put up shelves for, you know, things that have not had shelves. Like, right. that, that's great. I. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, it is funny because the bags, I kept expecting him to say that he had someone waiting for him. And he was like, I did kind of expect him to have like a girlfriend or something that he was carrying stuff for. So that was interesting. It just feels like such an interesting workaround of like the studio note, which is like, well, audiences want to see the two of them get together. Can you do a new ending where they haven't started dating other people? And then they pretty much reshoot the exact same thing line for line but without other people. And in its own way, that ending is like more bittersweet. I mean, the, the other major change to the script of the ending they went with is the extra time spent with her talking about the trip and how good it was and how much she learned. And it's like, the ending is just like, yeah, she's just like kind of okay being on her own right now. And they tricked the studio into giving them money to make that under the idea that it was somehow more optimistic, which it is, just not in the way that these movies usually define optimism, which yeah. is just you, you fix it. You get back together. You're happy. Yeah. You're, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, it was interesting. Cause I was also trying to think of like an antidote movie to this. And of course, whenever I think about good breakup movies, I always think of blue Valentine um, and how good of a job I think it does at showing the pain of falling out of love with someone or still loving them, but realizing that you're not compatible or, maybe because you don't want to do the work or just because of who you are. And so it was interesting because I was like, well, Blue Valentine is obviously a different genre, so it doesn't really work as a recommendation. But I do think it's interesting. We don't see the relationship really fall apart because we just see the breakup. But it is very different tones of that realization of, like, we are not compatible. Like, yeah, yeah, and, like, Blue Valentine, like, its reputation is like, oh, it's like an emotional horror film. Like, you won't believe how um, unbearably sad this movie is to watch. And then this movie is doing that in the guise of a mainstream comedy. Of a Vince Vaughn movie. It's a Vince yeah. Vaughn. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then, like, yeah, right after this, it's, it's ever... like couples retreat and other, like, boys will be boys bullshit. And this is the one that's just like, no, it's like this guy has to, like, sit alone and realize that he's just <laughs> exactly <laughs> sorry what were you gonna say Jordan? oh I, I i don't remember oh i think i was gonna say that like yeah i can't imagine like a big budget movie like this being made again mm-hmm. it doesn't yeah it doesn't really seem possible but that's also that's also partially just because nobody really wants to see people in relationships in movies anymore period like the relationship movie isn't really a thing anymore in that way like it's more of a streaming thing i feel like 
But even like the year after this is Knocked Up. And in so many ways, the two films are similar, except Knocked Up does everything to make a mainstream audience happy. You know, like it gives them just enough. It gives him like a path to redemption. It keeps him like, you know, basically likable the entire time. It feels like his failings are out of like naivete or thoughtlessness rather than being like, you know, a shitty person. And it ends with like the similar kind of ambiguous thing of like, well, they're not conclusively getting back together, but the audience can take it however they want to take it. Like this, that, that movie just does everything. I feel like this movie was trying to do, but in doing so removes all the things that make this movie interesting, which is just like the, the sort of wallowing in the, the repercussions of actions and like the fallouts and, and shit. I mean, there are the two scenes that I find very conventionally funny in this. There's the scene. It's the one funny Bateman thing where he's trying to like after and the Pictionary game is funny. But when he's trying to negotiate with them afterwards and he has his one incredible line reading where he's like, you know, I think what makes the most sense is to probably sell the place and split the the sales. And of course, because I'm a good friend, I would love to waive my commission. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, oh, my God, thanks. That's so kind. He's like, I mean, I, I can't. I'm just <laughs> saying I would love to hypothetically, but they won't let me do that. I love that. I was like, what? So I am. <laughs> it's so Such good. Such a good joke. Such a good joke. And then especially because it's like this movie is right, like, you know, before the big Apatow wave happens, you have the one super improv riffy scene which is the one where Vaughn goes to Favreau's bar after the art guy, hot art guy comes over and is sort of wallowing in it. And Favreau implies that he's going to hire a guy to beat him up. And it just drags oh, yeah. out for four minutes as he just keeps on saying like, to make an alibi. And he's like, I'm, I can't tell if you're joking or not. I genuinely don't want you to do anything. And he's like, no, do it. And, and when you go home, say that, say that loudly and make a couple phone calls. That scene <laughs> is just, it never fails to hit for me. I find it <laughs> so funny. Uh, and then it's like, that's what all comedy movies become for the next 10 years, is just a basic scene premise and then two guys riffing on it for five minutes. Totally, which, like, obviously at its best is just delightful. <laughs> right, like, I think this but, is at its best, and it also works because it's the only scene in the movie like that. Yeah. Yes. It's not a whole scene. Like, if, if this movie had made the same choices when it comes to what the scenes are about and leaving out the love story itself, but then there was more riffing, I I don't know. It would be more painful, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Unless yeah. it was always John Favreau, because I, I really did love him. Yeah, I mean, I feel also I uh, just right before I, f- I keep on, there's no good segue for it, but the weird <laughs> Cole Hauser scene where he's hitting on the woman oh. and he tells her that he's going to wrap her in plastic wrap and then like make two holes <laughs> was was also something that I feel like, I, it's not like a riffing scene really, but it's the kind of thing that I feel a lot of movies have now just this weird like it just kind of seems like very rapey but like it's it's funny but it wasn't funny and it's such a weird scene because like who laughed at that well yeah 
weird with those kinds of characters, like Lupus is that character in this movie, and there's these characters in many of the movies we cover, where the movie goes extra, like, we already know they're an asshole. Like, we already know he's a misogynist. He makes it very clear in the whole movie, every scene we see him. But then it's like the movie is like, no, 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 he's this bad. Yeah. <laughs> And and I and it's like the movie thinks it's funny or it thinks it's funny and it's trying to like really like do something edgy and you're just like okay I didn't need to hear that like I feel like, yeah, I feel like the movie stopped yeah. dead for him to say that yeah, <laughs> I wasn't like oh wow pearl clutching I was like yeah I, that doesn't surprise me that he's saying that but I still don't like to hear it <laughs> but like Wedding Crashers is so rapey and like all yeah. of this sort of like era of comedy these frat pack comedies have these rapey elements that like they excuse in this like boys will be boys like isn't right. it fun watching the misbehavior your shit and I guys yeah like I I can't make a case for that scene I don't think it works but what I feel like it's almost trying to do is like Cole Hauser's character is like the evil version of Vince Vaughn without the charm right he's like the same level of confidence in his sort of like wheeler dealer abilities but he's just not a fucking movie star there's nothing compelling about him and you're watching like this is the subtext of all these comedies where the guy is like so aggressive hitting on the woman, you know, where they try to frame it as like, this is funny or this is cute. Like he's just saying the worst possible shit. And then, you know, D'Onofrio is just the weird vulnerability without any confidence or charisma. Like Vaughn is like the one brother in the middle who somehow like shouldn't be likable, but has become a movie star. Yeah, like, they're just three very unlikable brothers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they kind of remind me of, like, this is such a weird comparison, but I couldn't stop thinking about it, of, like, um, Eddie Murphy, David Allen Greer, and Martin Lawrence and Boomerang. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, a bad, like, white version of that dynamic. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> God, Boomerang is so good. I had to rewatch Boomerang. Yeah, I like you I, do. Yeah, I, I need to do like a full Eddie dig. I feel like I rewatched a lot of them before Dolomite. Um, oh yeah. I, especially as uh, who knows how much longer uh, my life is primarily going to be lying in bed watching things on Netflix. <laughs> I, it's good to cover the rest. Yeah, yeah. I rewatched. I watched Trading Places for the first time recently, and finding out that Eddie Murphy was twenty two oh. when he made that was no. very upsetting for me because he's so good (laughs) yeah he is the ultimate like he fucks up the curve for everyone you always feel like a failure if you look at the eddie murphy ages where it's like 19 on snl he's 21 in 48 hours 22 in trading places 23 in beverly hills cop like we're all fucked you can't feel like anything less than a failure working in comedy if you look at those four accomplishments by those ages yeah absolutely it's just like okay well i'm gonna go i'm gonna go sit in my bed and not make something because i'm so right. upset right. there's i i sometimes make this argument that he might be like the the most sort of like effective pure movie star of all time when you just look at how he came out of the gate fully formed, good at everything, you know? Yeah. The raw ball in that guy combined with just his, like, charisma is unreal in those early movies. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love that our ending note is Eddie Murphy is actually yeah, really incredible. Right, that's actually a good comedy. Maybe people should just watch anything that's Eddie Murphy and we should just like, they don't need to watch something about a breakup. They just need to go appreciate Eddie Murphy. I mean, truly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's great <laughs> advice for anyone. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I, I like Vince Vaughn in movies up until like, I liked him before he did comedies like swingers is kind of a comedy, yeah. but it's like, you know, it's also just like white guys dealing with girl. And like, it's, it's still like kind of like in the rom-com space, just like all time with the bros kind of, but like, I, I like him when he was just like weird and skinny and intense. And, and when I was watching this movie, I kind of, it reminded me, I was like, yeah, there was a time when like, I, where I felt like he was doing a really good job. And I feel like this might be the last time that he actually really tried in a comedy. In a comedy, I mean, yeah. I, I would say it yeah. was the last time he really tried, period, except that like now he has like this whole like renaissance with like uh, a brawl in cell block, whatever, and dragged across concrete, which I can't watch because it's called dragged across concrete. Yep. I don't want to. Similar. I have a similar feeling <laughs> on that one. But then even just like, He's, I, I think he's like the good performance in uh, what's it called? Hacksaw Ridge, a movie I strongly dislike. And he's similarly very good in uh, what's it called? Fighting with My Family, the Page movie. Oh, I didn't even know that he was in that. He plays like the trainer in that. Uh, oh, like okay. he's essentially playing the same Hacksaw Ridge role, like the drill sergeant. But it's interesting that like, he had his wild, like, comedy success run. Then he had his, like, diminishing returns run. And now it feels like he's come full circle back to being like, I'm going to play, like, creeps and assholes and authority figures. Like, he's just kind of owned being gross again and being yeah. this weird kind of, like, nervy character actor playing unsavory types. Uh, yeah. Even if I don't like all of it, I, I kind of like the general direction he's gone into yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, for a while, Psycho Vince Vaughn was my favorite Vince Vaughn. <laughs> so and that's... Yeah, yeah now, now like, every Vince Vaughn performance is Psycho Vince Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, um, so Griffin, do you have anything that you want to plug? Uh, blank, blank check. Uh, my, my podcast with David Sims from The Atlantic, uh, we... Uh, talking uh, as much as I have about how this was Vince Vaughn's blank check, we sort of do a similar thing. We pick a director and go through every one of their uh, films. Uh, and right now we are doing uh, Robert Zemeckis, which is a pretty fucking wild career. Um, and is there anything yeah, else? Yeah, what a about? weird director. I need to listen to that. <laughs> yeah. weird. I, I still kind of can't figure it out. Like, I feel like to a fault... I often try to come up with a really clean thesis on whatever director we've covered. And I still just cannot pin this guy down. But there's like, he's not anonymous. There's a lot of shit going on there, but I can't, I can't fucking, he, he wrestles within me. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Well, this, yeah. that's, that's very compelling. That. <laughs> he wrestles within me. That's but, an, uh, incredibly, yeah. an incredibly poetic plug. Uh, that's my, my, my Terrence Malick, uh, plug for <laughs> yeah. the Robert Zemeckis Mesa's are doing. And then I do the, the George Lucas talk show, 
uh, every Sunday on planetscum.live, which is uh, very, very difficult to pitch. But it's uh, Connor Ratliff, uh, Patrick Hotner is my, and myself, and uh, Connor plays George Lucas, and I play Watto, the slave owner from Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And we interview real people, real celebrities, as themselves, and do this very weird disjointed talk show. And uh, once a month, we do a big fundraiser for charity where we watch a failed TV show that no one cares about. Uh, that's what my life is now. <laughs> I, love, I love your life, Griffin. Uh, I appreciate you doing the work. Yeah. I met your mother. I very much empathize with just like the emotion behind your eyes when you were like, this is what my life is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not, uh, yeah. It's like, I'm not complaining, but it is weird when I like think about <laughs> The entire structure of my life, especially at a time like this, where it's like, I'm not doing anything else. Like the potential of other stuff isn't even on the horizon. You know, it's like, well, my full-time job is uh, talking about Robert Zemeckis and then putting on a shitty Watto costume and uh, asking Leia Thompson questions about the set of Dennis the Menace. Um, but um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, and a pleasure to be on the show, uh, a fan of the show, a fan of both of you uh, uh, for a long time. Uh, I mean, Brown, I was always a, a big fan of yours as Cassandra would always try to look you on whatever I show told, I was Yeah, I told Jordan, like, that you were one of my favorite people when I uh, moved to New York. I was like, like, you were one of the first people in the comedy scene where I was like, oh, he's like really cool and funny and smart and nice. People can be all those things. That's, yeah, it's uh, wild. Very nice to hear. Uh, uh, yeah, the nice, the nice is the big one. It's, it's very hard to find people who cover that fifth one in the comedy scene. Oh scenes, my god! Yeah, when you're yeah. starting out, uh, uh, and yeah, and Jordan, uh, more more recent fan, but such a big fan of yours. You've been so great. On oh well, you know, I'm a fan of you too. And Kyle and I watched The Tick and like really enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, when is this episode coming out? Um, it should be coming out like next week. Why? Okay. So that's the other thing I can plug I, on November 15th, uh, uh, Sunday, November 15th on a site called houseseats.live. We're doing a tick reunion thing for local food banks. We're going to raise money for a bunch of local food banks, but it's going to be the cast, the casts plural of all three tick TV shows. So the main cast of the animated series, the Warburton series, and the one that I was on, and Ben Edlin, who was the creator of the Tech comic book and uh, the main creative force behind all three series, he's pulled out from the archives three unmade scripts from each version of the show. So we're going to be doing reads of scripts that no one's ever heard before uh, with the original cast. Um, and uh, it'll be live on Sunday, November 15th, but then I think it will also be uh, archived on that same website, houseseats.live, uh, to watch later. And I think tickets are $10. Um, but I'm very, very excited for that. I believe what we're going to do from the version I was on is read the original script for how season two was supposed to end, uh, which I was very, very uh, passionate about. And Amazon pulled the budget at the last second, and I had such a nervous breakdown off of it that my back went out. Uh, and I've spent the last, like, four years ruining the fact that we never got to shoot the ending we were supposed to shoot, which was very much the, we think we're going to get canceled, let's try to blow it all out ending. 
and instead we ended up with the kind of safer doors open I think um so people should check that out yeah no that sounds awesome I'm glad I'm glad that I mentioned the text so that we could talk about that and yeah this episode should be out on on Wednesday so that's still that's like plenty of time for people to get tickets and stuff yeah awesome so that's good. Um, so what other housekeeping stuff? Our, our theme song is done by Clutch Douglas. Uh, we we thank them every day for, like, emotionally, spiritually. We thank them every day for giving, <laughs> for giving us this song, for giving us something to open the show with. Um, and we're on all the apps and things. Yeah. We love, we love uh, you know to speak to you and we love to interact on Twitter and online. And if you feel like leaving a review, you can, but really only if you feel like it. Also, if you're a patron, we are starting to watch the OC. So we will have OC coverage for patrons soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. I already have a lot of feelings about it. I'm very excited. Yeah. I'm very excited to watch the OC for the first time, which I didn't watch it the first time around because I was mad that Adam Brody left Gilmore girls to do the show. And so uh, my little boycott (laughs) was to not watch the OC because I feel like it totally messed up with Lane's storyline. Anyway, I'm going to watch it now. I've gotten over it. So everyone should um, (laughs) check out. So November 15th, check out the, the tick reading Yes. And cast uh, reunion with multiple casts and all also- the ticks. I think is the formal name or all the ticks. All the ticks. That's perfect. And then, um, if you're a patron or you just need an escape, you can watch the OC with us. Yeah, I've been Bernie right. Isaac. I'm Jordan Searles. You're Griffin. Oh, I didn't know if I was supposed to say it's like the official sign off. Yeah, we didn't we didn't make that clear. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> That's cool. We we've all been here. You've heard our names. Listen to us next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.